0: The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and joined as always, we have rogue hero portrait purist, Zako. Zach, how you doing?
0: Every portrait of Rogue that isn't the original Valera is a blasphemy, Hat.
1: You're not going to like a lot of the hero portrait choices I make. You're not going to like them.
0: Guys, do you know that Hat plays Pirate Valera? I do. He's a Pirate Valera enthusiast. I found out about that uh, a few days ago, and I strongly considered canceling the podcast or finding another host, I decided against it eventually. I'm hoping to convert uh, Hat back to the light and away from Pirate Valera. Don't do Pirate Valera, kids. It's a
1: blasphemous portrait, Hat. I like original Valera a lot. And and at the same time, my hero portrait is an important means of both self-expression and trolling. I use Serenoio. Right, I use Nemzi.
0: Oh my god, you use Serenoyo as well? Yeah. Who is the real BMer here, me or you, Hat? I don't
1: BM, my portrait does it for me.
0: No, but you use your portrait as a weapon. Yeah. Like, imagine you playing Libram Paladin with Serenoyo and Penflingers.
1: I don't have to imagine, it's what I do. It's a real thing that Think happens. Think of the children playing
0: this game, Hat. Come on. Anyway... We'll have to talk about your portrait choices, but uh, I, I might uh, provide a, a complete picture on my portrait choices uh, in a future podcast for people to understand what the real meta is, what people should do.
1: Oh, this is going to get more argumentative than an actual meta report. I'm looking forward to that because we don't want to spoil it and let everybody know that Dame Hazel is the best druid. We can't do that.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't keep pushing it, Had. Don't keep pushing. It. Just move to the next subject. Okay. I'm dying here.
1: So the next podcast will be published as usual on Saturday the nineteenth. You're listening to this one. It was published on Saturday the twelfth. Um, but we're strongly expecting a patch, a balance patch, on Tuesday the fifteenth. This is not due to any inside information, but rather due to well, all of the clues in the world. When they released the Rewards Track update article, they were very clear that login bonuses would start in the 15th. They have to change a bunch of stuff in the client for the the assets for the Rewards Track. And we just got information that there would be a Battlegrounds rating reset this upcoming week. It looks like the patch on on Tuesday is going to be 19.2, which is likely going to be a large patch, which would include balance changes for probably every mode. I'd expect BGs, I'd expect Duels, and I'd expect Standard.
0: Yeah, and they are just waiting to announce what the nerfs are after Worlds because usually you wouldn't um you know release these uh changes beforehand before uh, uh, major tournaments because you don't want to kind of kill the hype of the tournament and you know see cards that are about to be nerfed to being used, right? So usually what they do is they wait until they until the tournament is over. And then like Monday, I would expect some blog. And Tuesday probably the patch will be out. I'll be shocked based on the signs that we're seeing that there won't be in a balance balance patch. I fully expect one to occur. Uh which means that if there is a balance patch on Tuesday, uh the next report will not be next Thursday on the 17th. It will be on the 24th of December, uh, Christmas. Um uh, Thankfully, I'm Jewish, which means that I will still work uh, during the build-up to Christmas and uh, produce uh, a report for you guys to read. And that's pretty much it. And we're going to have a podcast. The podcast on the nineteenth will be discussing the early impressions of that patch. So you definitely
1: want to tune for that. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be working the Christmas weekend. We're, we're both Jewish, I guess. Um, and so <laughs> neither of us is, is going to be stopped by Christmas. But the real gift anyways is data. That's the real gift.
0: The truth is that I'm not stopped by any holiday. I've never taken a week off because of some holiday. Uh, when it comes to the report, then people will, will be aware of that. So, yes, yeah, uh, let's talk about data. Last week's report, and also we're gonna do two things, right? We're gonna talk about the report, uh, we're gonna talk about developments in the meta, and then I will give you some Zako patch notes. I know we've we've discussed uh, potential balance changes last week, but with new data, and I've also spending quite a bit of time trying to figure out what I would do in Team five's position. I will try to predict the changes that they will make, Ooh. and there will be some surprises. Um, things that you may have not thought about because I didn't think about them until, uh, again, I, I did some more extensive work on uh, what cards I would uh, nerf and what cards I would change in order to produce a healthier meta. So we'll see how close that ends up being to what the patch notes are, but we'll we'll have a discussion about that and my reasonings as well. But yeah, let's get to it. We'll start with, obviously, Demon Hunter.
1: Yeah, that's where this meta starts. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Every deck that you play right now, you have to keep Demon Hunter in mind. Even if you have a good matchup against it, which is possible to do. Uh, it's warping the meta in a way that if your deck doesn't beat Demon Hunter, it stops existing.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but you have three Demon Hunter decks that you have to worry about. And here's the thing, okay, most of the discussion here will not be about Agro Demon Hunter. We know how good that deck is. We know how powerful it is. We know why it is powerful and why it improved its win rate um, a couple of weeks ago, thanks to the Poket Altruist Skull build. That makes it much more difficult to outlast because now it has this finisher that can help it come back from losing positions. And if you've play ladder um, a significant amount of time, you've probably ble- been blown out by an altruist by now in moments where you thought you were already winning the game. Because you you win, there, you win the board, you can push them off sometimes, but then they poke it, skull, altruists, and just win off of that. Almost like a combo deck, because they have so much card draw as well. So we know about that, and we know that Soul Demon Hunter, the build that we crafted before the expansion even launched, is still the way to go because it's a supremely powerful. It abuses Bladed Lady perfectly with Relentless Pursuit. It has the Consume Magic, which helps you in some more difficult matchups, which becomes even more important now that Rogue, and we'll talk about Rogue, is doing so well. Consume Magic is big in that matchup as well. So there is no reason to change that build. But Lifesteal Demon Hunter hat. This deck oh boy. initially came out. Okay, so this deck initially came out. And, you know, we looked at it. We evaluated its performance and it looked absolute trash. Um, And maybe that was too early to say that it was absolute trash. The truth is, the early expansion builds were definitely trash. But this deck has transformed. And players that run Lifesteal Demon Hunter now make drastically different card choices that make a big difference on its performance. In addition, Lifesteal Demon Hunter is the best counter in the game to Aggro Demon Hunter. And we know how much Aggro Demon Hunter exploded in popularity over the last couple of weeks. So both of these factors have contributed to Lifesteal Demon Hunter significantly rising in its uh, performance and becoming from like a, a clear tier 4 deck to a deck that could possibly be breaking into tier two very soon. And the reason, is, and when we discussed the build, um, again, once again, it, it comes down to Polkit Skull. Uh, Lower Keeper Polkit was added to the deck, and the moment that happened, that win rate spike uh, started out, uh, it just allows you to discount your Ilganoth. you play Polkit, you get Skull, Ilganoth now costs one mana, which makes your OTK so much more consistent, so much easier to execute. You don't need to run Raging Fell Screamer when you do that because who needs to discount um, more Agar artificer when you have a discounted Ilganoth, right? Uh, it just makes the deck a lot more versatile and, and easier. Also, it makes the win condition faster, right? Because you're guaranteed to draw Ilganoth quicker, uh, it makes it so that you sometimes win without drawing your entire deck. Sometimes you can execute the combo when you're 5 cards, uh, 25 cards into the deck. And that can make a big difference, right? Every turn, when, when talking about a combo deck, every turn matters. Every turn that the combo is delayed um, lowers your chances of winning. So if you're faster and more efficient, then that obviously contributes a lot. And you know, there are some interesting card choices. Since we're running Ilganoth and it's 1 mana, more, very often do things to Skull discounts that means we can we don't need as much uh combo redundancy with things like ethereal og merchant can be a one copy that's fine. We're also seeing people running ooze and ooze in this deck actually makes sense that specifically because uh bulwark of azanoth is a card. And in the warrior matchup if they play bulwark of azanoth you don't have minions so basically it it can delay your combo to the point where you're like you can just lose the game because of it. So having an ooze that's guaranteed to just deal with that bulwark is a huge, huge difference maker in that specific matchup, which is why it's important. That the other thing about Ooze is that it's also good in against other demon hunters. Uh it's okay. It's good enough to definitely not be a liability. Um and since it's also good against like Shaman, uh, then there's enough we know how the meta right now is focused on weapon classes. Ooze isn't as terrible. And when it's so paramount to a specific matchup, such as uh, ETC Control Warrior or other Control Warriors, then it's a, it's a reasonable conclusion, uh, uh, um, reasonable addition. And it's also, I've seen some people running two, which might be a little bit overkill. But the point is Ooze is actually uh uh, good in that deck because it's uh, important to its win condition uh, actually furthers its win condition uh, rather than just you know disrupt your opponent anyway um, so the build that we have in the report is pretty good uh, there is some perhaps some changes that other people are making of seeing people experiment with relentless pursuit in order to be able to like th- th- there are two reasons why you would run Relentless Pursuit. One is makes you- makes your blade dance better, but two, it makes you able to more consistently win through Aldraki Warblades, Ilganoth, and just web weapon- uh, attack buffs. Sometimes you don't you don't need to play Morg Artificer, Morg Artificer, Ethereal Augmented, Ilganoth, and a Fellscreen Blast. Sometimes it's good enough to just kill people like Soul Demon Hunter does with Ilganoth. So Relentless Pursuit kind of helps that. It's also a nice removal card. I'm not sure about whether that build with Relentless Pursuit is better or not. Because we're just it's just coming in right now. Um, um, what I do know is that the build we have in the report is very effective. And, and looks very good. The other thing is Zephyrus. And Zephyrus is a card that doesn't look very necessary. We know that because people are not running Zephyrus are doing very well. But there is some logical argument to why you would run Zephyrus based on the flexibility of your win conditions. It allows you to use your combo pieces uh, more freely in order to survive and then have Zephyrus as this late game win condition, right? You can use it to get like a Doomhammer and just smack your opponent with attack modifiers with that just, I don't know, play a Tyrion against some aggro deck if you manage to survive at that point. Um, It it can give you some, you know, obviously in regular matchup if you draw to the end of your deck, it can give you that extra damage that you may need to finish uh, off opponents. Though, as I said, it doesn't seem to be necessary. But if I had to play Zephyrus, if you want to play Zephyrus, then the one thing you would, the card you would take out is one philosophy. Because basically what happens is Zephyrus covers for your... Wind condition flexibility, and that means you don't need as many Morg artificers because you can spend them more freely. That's the logic behind it. So you run one Philosophy and one Zephyrus, and that makes you uh, diversify your wind conditions. Though, as I said, it's not necessarily a better thing. Um, having, as I said, this deck, four Morg artificers are very, very good. Like, having more of them so that you can use them to survive... And then still have a couple in order to execute your win condition, it's kind of the same thinking as the Zephyrus. Right? Why do I need Zephyrus if I can just have four more artificers? I can spend them more freely, just does exactly what Zephyrus does, but I just I still have the OTK. Um, so that's the thinking behind the build that we are featuring. As I said, it might not be the absolute perfect one because there's still work to be done with this archetype that doesn't see A lot of play. It mostly sees play at Top Legend. But let me tell you this, Hat. Yesterday, I played a lot of ladder games at Top Legend. And I ran into, like, I don't know, over a course of 15 games, I ran into four Demon Hunters. And three of them were lifesteal. Hat. Three of them were lifesteal. Like, yeah, it's starting to gravitate towards that deck rather than Soul Demon Hunter and agra Demon Hunter and I'm seeing it in the win rate too it's trending towards a positive win rate there especially higher levels of play the deck isn't it's quite difficult to play as I said I've said it in an earlier podcast um, it's rare and almost like it just never happens that a deck like improves in its performance by 3-4% comp- at higher levels compared to lower levels just from a matchup sp- perspective but this deck, maybe it's a 1% better, right? That that's, means it's has a relatively high skill gap.
1: The deck looks really, really hard to play. I've played some of earlier builds of this, and I I definitely did not get that 1% edge. I, I got the other direction by more than that.
0: I think once you get the hang of it, uh, it's a lot more simple than it looks. Like, once you understand how the win condition works and you, cal- you know how to calculate damage... It's not that complicated, but it is more difficult relatively to other decks in the meta, that's for sure.
1: The hard part I found was when to use combo pieces not in the combo. Uh, and the player that's, that's doing the best with this right now, the most visibly, is Frozen. He is top five a Legend on NA with it right now and has a build very similar to the one we landed on in the report. Um, and he's said to, that he ends up with multi lethals that aren't just straight up the, the Felscreen combo a lot. Uh, and then he wins with Zephyrus into Doomhammer quite a bit.
0: He uses Zephyrus. He likes the flexibility. Uh, but as I said, like, Zephyrus is really not... doesn't look to be necessary at all. And a lot of people are having success, more success so far, without Zephyrus than with it, which is why Zephyrus is not included in our build. Yes, um, We don't think it's necessary, I think that flexibility aspect is a little bit overrated. I think it might um, be more of a comfort thing, where you just feel better, that you have more agency, or you can win in multiple different ways, but it's not necessarily leading you to win more games. Um, That's my uh, perspective based on what we've done, some extensive analysis on the archetype. But yeah, this deck is actually dangerous hat. Uh, not dangerous in the th- sense that it's going to be like oppressive or anything, but it's definitely a deck that need to be kept in mind as it's uh, it's significantly improved from its uh, early expansion iterations. It's just drastically different now. We used to run like double jump and crystal runner, and these cards were just not good. At, so, um, the, the 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 current package is a lot better, a lot lot better. So. Refinement was the main factor in helping this deck improve, rather than players learning the deck. Right? It's mostly about the. It's no
1: longer a meme, though. Good news: there is a new meme. No, we don't have date on it. But if you want to kill people with expendable performers and wrath scale naga, that's been making the rounds on Twitter. That's not. That's not a good deck. Don't play that one.
0: Yeah, I saw that tweet. That's a weird one, huh? It's goofy. Wait, you. It's like you literally play Naga in Expendable on 10.
1: Well, you have to costumed Performer your Wrath Scale Naga.
0: Yeah, so that you can... Yeah, you... you okay. Well, we won't waste uh, more time on that. <laughs> it's,
1: that's the meme, OTK. That is the fourth yeah, yeah, Demon Hunter the... deck, but it's not really a deck. But yes, the, the Polkelt Lifesteal Ogunoth Demon Hunter combo deck seems to be on the verge of being really real, and Yarla brought it to Worlds.
0: Yeah, it's real. He, like, Yarla's build lineup is meant to target Warrior. And he has all the tools in that list and as well as in other list to make Warrior's life difficult. So, it's an interesting build. It's an interesting lineup. We'll see how it does with it. But, um, yeah, Lifesteal Demon Hunter is definitely real. It's competitive. I know it's it might get worse if Aggro Demon Hunter gets nerfed, but I wouldn't really take that chance. <laughs> you know, I've uh, played, uh, we'll talk about Rogue, but I've played a lot of uh, combo Miracle Rogue and Lifesteal Demon Hunter is one of the most frustrating matchups I ran into uh, over the last few days at Top Legend with the new builds.
1: The more we talk about Demon Hunter, the I know that we have Zacco patch notes. I'm going to have hat feelings after your Zako patch notes. And the more we talk about Demon Hunter, the, the more I think about how they need to nerf the one card that's in all of these decks. We'll talk about it.
0: I know. We'll talk about it. Little, you're you're on to me. You're on to me Hat. Yeah. but let's not spoil it too much. No. But yeah. Let's get to warrior. Talks Another class warrior. that probably needs to be nerfed. So here's the thing about warrior. It's a weird thing is that, you know, ETC control warriors when they dropped. Control warriors when they dropped and it's no longer tier 1. You need to look at the details. Why did control warriors win rate drop? It's because players are obsessing with countering warrior to the point where they play things like Highlander Druid. Now, is Highlander Druid the deck that should be in the meta?
1: No, it should uh-huh. not. Really? I'm so surprised, shocked, Pikachu. Yeah, we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about
0: why that is. But the fact of the matter is, Highlander Druid shouldn't be in the meta. And if it wasn't in the meta, then Control Warrior would probably be Tier 1. Like, it's not just Druid. It's also, like, people are running, like, bad Priest decks that happen to be good against Warrior, but they're, they suck against everything else. And these players kind of, you know, tip the scales a little bit towards uh, Control Warrior looking a little bit more balanced. But the fact is, if people, if everybody tried to win with good decks then Control Warrior would be Tier 1 still. So regarding the build of Control Warrior, I think we made a very clear change that is fairly obvious and easy to understand, which is that Aggro Demon Hunter has become more popular. Yes, it's a favorable matchup, but still it pays off to be more favorable in that matchup, as well as others, which is why we recommend... um, like slightly toning down the combo aspects of the build that we featured last week and make it a little bit better defensively. Uh, we're looking at um, the addition of two two cards. One is Minefield. Minefield is a card that I haven't... I have yet to see a Warrior deck that runs Minefield, and Minefield is not being one of its best cards. Like, I have yet to see that. Like, Minefield is just unquestionably insane. And uh, when you th- consider the rise of Agro Demon Hunter, it becomes an absolute no-brainer. It is so powerful in the early game, it makes it almost impossible for Agrodex to just outpace you and be able to beat you before you get to Skipper, Armorsmith, Bloodsworn Mercenary. Like, you have, sometimes you have hope that they don't have that on turn 6 and then you can win. But if they minefield you on turn 2, 3, or 4 and clear your board, you're never getting there before they skip our armor smith uh, mercenary. Uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, it feels like you're never getting there. So, minefield is really powerful, extremely powerful against aggro demon hunter. That makes that matchup easier. Also, useful against soul demon hunter because it allows you to kill their early game minions, which do. Some chip damage, which can matter in the end. Like that Jailer or Panthera that hit you in the face uh, a few times, that can matter. Also kills a Lapidary. You know, I keep saying it, but it kills a Lapidary hat. It's so good. Anyway, um, obviously useful in other matchups too, though, in other matchups. That don't play a lot of early game minions, I wouldn't consider keeping it. I think uh, people are overly fixated on keeping Minefield against every deck, when obviously like against Druid, it makes no sense to do that. Against Priest, it makes a lot less sense to do that. Even against Rogue, I wouldn't keep it. I would mostly keep it against things like Hunter and Demon and Agro Demon Hunter. Obviously Demon Hunter. So that's what uh, you're looking to do. And the other card is Brawl. Brawl is mostly a lean towards what's going to happen Today, tomorrow, and next week, rather than something that was great last week. Because Rogue is getting more popular, and Brawl is a good answer to Rogue. There will be a turn, usually, where they buff a questing adventurer with multiple lackeys, and they play a bunch of stuff, or an Edwin. And Brawl is a pretty good answer to that kind of play from Rogue. And if you run no Brawls, you can get caught off guard. Uh, by that kind of play that they usually make around turn 6, around turn 7. So that Brawl can really help. But if Rogue gets stronger, then evolve Shaman gets stronger. Which means that evolve Shaman... And that's the card that you really want Brawl against, right? You really want Brawl against evolve Shaman. If there's one matchup where I'm saying why you would run Brawl for, it's Shaman. So Brawl... Is rising in its strength against the field and is likely to grow in strength even more. So we don't just build decks for the meta of yesterday. We also give something, uh, give a list that we think can be optimized even more against the meta that's coming over the next week. So th- these are the changes that we we made in the report, and I feel like that list is very fleshed out and ready to be nerfed.
1: Yep, it's. I I don't know how you hit it exactly, we'll talk about it later, but there are just so many efficient removal tools that it feels kind of demoralizing to play against. It's not quite the same feeling as facing a boom hero on 7, but in terms of removal density, it feels kind of similar. They always have something. They always have something to kill your stuff.
0: Yeah, it's... it's Yeah, it's just... it's all, I think part of it is because, uh, you know, the deck does, isn't packed with removal, but it has so much draw that it always gets the removal it needs. It feels like it. Uh, because of the excess draw, because of cards like, you know, Sword Eater, which is so efficient, helps you stall. Like, think about... How much Sword Eater soaks, right? Both in terms of the yeah. two-five taunt body, as well as the weapon killing two things. Sometimes Sword Eater in aggressive matchups like kills four of your opponent's cards. Three, four cards is like, and that, like it's it's a it's a common outcome. Whereas a single Sword Eater deals with like four of your opponent's minions. So it just very very powerful deck with just. Really good stall. And you have Evil Quartermaster, which you bridged that into uh, on turn three. So you, like, often if you have Minefield, you play Minefield on two, Quartermaster on three, turn four, Sword Eater. Like, good luck. Any aggro deck tries to beat that. You're not beating that. So. The,
1: the thing about, like, Demon Hunter feels really powerful when you look at all the cards together. But when I look at this Warrior deck list, I think it has. I'm going to describe this as. It has the best 30th card. Whatever the worst card is in this warrior list is still insane. Every single card is just so efficient, no matter what it's trying to do. Like, there's no no bad removal. There's no bad card draw. There's no bad threats. It's all just, everything is such a great card in this list that it's kind of hard to look at it as anything more than just the combination of a bunch of really, really efficient pieces at every aspect of what the deck needs to do.
0: Yep, that's pretty much uh, what I would describe this uh, this deck as. Obviously, Warrior has other decks. You know, I've seen people try the ETC combo in Enrage Warrior. It's not really working well. Guys, yeah. I know this has been a popular question, but no, just put it in Control Warrior. It just makes a lot more sense. Enrage uh, Warrior doesn't look too OTK. It's not like a pure combo deck. It's more of a, like a, an aggro slash combo deck. So for that, I think coke Elite combo... Well, it works a lot better. Also, if you take out, if you take the ETC combo and add it to that deck, it means you have to cut, like, the buffs, the enrage buffs. And those are important with War Maul Challenger. Those are big, th- like, not running Rampage means your War Maul Challenger is less threatening. So doesn't make sense for that deck. And Bomb
1: Warrior is obviously good, just people are not playing it because they're bored of it, Hat, but... It's starting to come back. It's starting to come back. People saw the Worlds lineups and they got the excuse to play Bomb Warrior and I've been watching a bunch of streams and there's been a bunch of Bomb Warrior and I'm... Uh...
0: Yeah. Yeah, like I, I think if Control ends up being nerfed to the point where it's um, significantly weaker then I definitely think that Bomb Warrior can make a comeback. Not because of the direct matchup. Bomb Warrior is totally fine to Control It's just that people will not ha- will now have a better excuse to bring that thing back. So, bomb warrior is good. Make no mistake about it. It's good on ladder today. It's
1: probably been good on ladder the whole time.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been good on ladder the whole time. I mean, we're we're yeah, we're, we've shown it. It's always good. Like it's always like consistently top of tier two, something like that, in terms of its win rate, and very comparable to
1: control warrior. And you know what? I'm proud of the of the legend playing community. For agreeing to just not play it anyway, even though we know
0: it's almost like it's almost like a gentleman's agreement between everyone not to bring that deck back even though we know it's good we know it's good, yes, but we'll just not play it we just agree right it's it's uh it, it's not this situation where it's like pure paladin where you know There is definitely, I I can understand people not playing pure top legend. The matchups do get worse. We see that they get worse. The deck isn't as powerful at the the higher echelon of the skill levels of ladder. Like, it's still good, right? But it drops off a little bit. So I can see why it's not played. But Bomb Warrior is just a gentleman's agreement. Like, we all know it's good. We're just not gonna bother. And I'm just waiting for that agreement to be broken. I'm not waiting. I want it to I'm fine with it continuing on until April. It's just that I'm wondering when people are going to just, you know, drop the gloves, so to speak. Well, start playing that deck more.
1: It's half of the world's competitors brought it this weekend, so prepare yourself because, uh,
0: yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, it makes sense in these lineups to bring Bomb Warrior because Bomb Warrior is good. But it might
1: change because nobody at Worlds brought the build of
0: the best deck.
1: The best deck, I said it, yeah. I said it nobody,
0: out f- Nobody figured out. It's amazing because it makes sense. The timing makes sense, right? Because when did we get the report out on Thursday? Um, by that time, people already settled on their world sign-ups. And if only they knew that the best deck in the game was Combo Miracle Rogue with Willkink
1: Master. And even more importantly, maybe... With Prize Plunderer, which is a bananas card that we should have been playing the whole time, even in Secret Rogue.
0: Perhaps, perhaps. I'm not sure about that, Hat. I want data to confirm it. I'm not.
1: I'm making I bold, it bold statements. I, like, bold
0: statement. We're here. We're here for it. Like, we're here for Prize it. Prize
1: Plunderer, I played Corbett's rank one legend Kingsbane Rogue list in Wild. And my opponent kept making five fives 5s because they were Big Priest, because that's what happens in Wild now. And I prize plunderer to kill five fives the in- all day long. It's it's card is Who needs SAP when you have prize plunderer? Just right? one mana, kill a thing, make a guy. Like it's yeah,
0: yeah. It's very good. Yeah. So miracle rogue. Um, you know we explained it. We've got the secret build. People are running the good build again, which is why it's rising at its win rate. But secret miracle rogue is not the best miracle rogue deck or the ro- best rogue deck. Uh Will Kickmaster is um uh, is ver is very good with the package of combo cards, you know, such as SI7 Agents and such. And this deck, I can tell you already, it's picking up steam and it's clearly the best deck in the game, hat. Yeah, especially at higher levels of play. It's the best deck in the game. It's better than Demon Hunter right now, it's better than Warrior, it's better than Hunter, it's better. It's just good. And I've been playing that deck uh, over the last few days. And, you know, honestly, other than Evolve Shaman, I I felt pretty comfortable against most opponents. Perhaps Lifesteal Demon Hunter is another problematic matchup, but honestly, that deck is so good. Um, and it's really so fun. Good against it's Demon.
1: really fun to play. It's a lot
0: of fun. It's a lot of fun. World Kickmaster is, is a fun card, that's for sure. Um, it, it, it's kind of this generation card that actually feels fine because you have a specific pool where it can. It's not like every spell, like Cyclone, right? Yeah, it's not every spell, like Sethic Veil vale Weaver. It's a, it's a specific generator, which I think is my favorite type of generator because because it's just not that high variance of a generator. That's the point. The whole point of it. So it's fun to play, and it's powerful. It's powerful because a lot of the combo cards are good against Agro Demon Hunter just by themselves, like SI Seven Agent, Plunderer, really good card in that matchup too. But then um, Master turns these cards into more fuel in the late game. So on turn like six, you can play Master, and I don't know, you prep Swindle, SI Plunderer, and such, Wand Thief. And you just go off, and you just get more resources, and you're able to sustain into the late game with that build, even though you're running a very early game-focused build with a lot of good defensive cards, good tempo cards in the early game. So that build is doing a lot of work. The one suggestion that we made in the report that's not played right now is Chorus. I'm not sure if Chorus is correct, but the reason is that we looked into this deck we saw that it's the lack of single target removal can be problematic in some matchups, like the Mirror against Secret version. Like They play Edwin, and if you don't have a way, if you didn't generate a way to deal with it, you just lose. So having a single chorus in your deck increases the chances of you having an answer to that Edwin, to that questing adventurer uh, in the mid-game and such. So it's not like you keep chorus, right? You don't keep chorus in your... Uh, opening hand. It's just that in the mid game, turn five, six, seven, when they play their questing or Edwin in the mirror, then you need to have a better chance of being able to answer that. Also, it's a combo card, so it works with Master. I've done it more than once. Works well with Prep too. So you can also works well with uh, Secret Passage. Like sometimes you just fish for it with Secret Passage. So running one copy in the deck with Secret Passage. It make a lot of sense. It's very good. It's a very good deck. I saw No Hands Gamer posting an insane win rate with that list. Yeah, he climbed to
1: like it, he climbed like three hundred legend ranks and he's in top one hundred with it now.
0: He went like twenty-eight and eight or something, something insane like that. So yeah, uh, I've also had a really good win rate with it across two servers. It just it's just strong. It's clearly very strong. So um that deck is very powerful, and it's definitely a meta breaker in the sense where, you know, you, we keep talking about Demon Hunter and Warrior being so good and probably needs to be nerfed, but God, what are we going to do with Rogue after they get nerfed? So that's a hint for later.
1: World Kick Master is a is a Saviors of Doom card. It's rotating out in a few months, and it's an epic, so a lot of people in the in the Discord have been like, well, should I craft this right now? Probably wait till Tuesday. If you're listening to this now and you haven't crafted the card yet, probably wait until Tuesday if you can hang on for a couple of days. I
0: would wait till Monday. I yeah. would wait until Monday. And if the blog post doesn't show me a
1: rogue nerf... <laughs> then make it right you away. You can craft it, boys. It feels like a mana cyclone. Um, it's a little bit more flexible because you get to play the generator first. And even if you only get a couple cards out of it, there was a game where I went uh, on turn four, Secret Passage, Secret Passage, Master, Wand Thief, Shadow Step, Wand Thief. And it's just a casual four mana draw, eight cards. It, it was a pretty powerful turn, as far as that goes. Um, I love one Thief. Can I
0: tell you, can I talk about how much I love that card? I loved it before the expansion, but my god, what a great card.
1: It's, we're going to be sick of it in a year, I'll tell you that.
0: No, no, I'm never going to be sick of one Thief. This card is one of my favorites ever. It's like, really good. It's so fun. It's really fun to play with Mage Spells when you're playing Rogue, because a lot of them are like, like a lot of the Mage spell have great synergy rogue like it's just great so yep big fan of that card uh but yeah so aggro rogue kind of meh and galcon rogue also meh it's pretty much a miracle and if you want to be you know in tune with what's really the most powerful rogue deck then you want to run combo miracle rogue but yeah again the timing is awkward with it being an epic and we have balance changes who knows what's gonna happen. But that deck is really powerful. And for now, looks like the clear number one, though, you know, if we let the meta develop, then it might change. Um, but we're not we're probably not gonna see it, because I do expect a patch in here.
1: Yes. But I like that there are still organic developments to be found. It's nice that there that there are secrets at the Dark Moon Fair.
0: The organic developments happen just specifically in around five classes <laughs> while the rest uh, five yeah. or six classes and the rest just sit there and waiting.
1: And one of the organic developments is another potentially really high tier demon hunter deck.
0: So yeah, yeah. It's just uh, it's happening from the same classes. So there's yeah. probably a problem there, but but yeah, speaking of like let's talk about a stable class which is paladin. Um so paladin is like so Libren paladin is better than the stats indicate. Um the reason why the stats say it's Tier 2 deck is because a lot of its builds are, you know, there's still, you know, old gods left over and and things like that. And that doesn't really work very well. We also have other builds that are not, not the most optimal ones. But we finally saw a build that's not like the Skullman's build that actually looks promising. And it involves running uh, Dragon Tamer and Amber Watcher. So the problem with that is that, you know, we kept thinking, theoretically, if we're running two Dragon Tamers, with just two Amber Watchers, it's very often that a Dragon Tamer will be a River Croc in the late game. And that hurts a lot. The question, how much does it hurt? And when we looked at this, this bill, we saw that it was still very much worth it. Like, it's worth running two Dragon Tamers just to pull the Watchers. Now, part of it is because... Drawing cards is just good, and even on average, Dragon Tamer doesn't draw one card on average, because sometimes it draws nothing in the late game. That's still worth it for that deck, but also it's because of what it pulls. Uh, Amber Watcher is a card that's extremely important in Demon Hunter matchups, aggro and soul. So if you pull that card, it's very much worth it to get that on turn 5 consistently. So that's a big reason why that package is working right now. Healing is important. Also against Hunter, things like that. There's a lot of burn in the meta, and that means the Ember Watcher is more powerful. The uh, Another card that's interesting, that's doing very well, is Hammer of the Narrow. Like, why would we play just stats... In a Libram Paladin, which is like a combo ish deck. Well, good cards are good cards. You just run them. You don't think about what archetype they go into. If they work, and wo- they work. And we've seen that Hammer of the Narrow seems to be better than Devout Pupil. Devout Pupil is more um, reliant on you getting to discount a Libram of Wisdom early, drawing it early, and use it multiple times to discount. Um, The devout pupil, and sometimes devout pupil is a sunwalker, or not much better than that. So, Hammer of the Narrow is more consistently powerful. Even though its ceiling isn't as high as pupils, it's a far more stable card. And it's also good against both Warrior and Demon Hunter, because Warrior can struggle to remove it. It has an awkward It's an awkward body, right? It's not gigantic, but it's a 6-6. So, like, out of skipper range and things like that. Also deals 9 damage with the weapon alone.
1: I underestimated how important the weapon is. The weapon's really good. Yeah, the
0: weapon is huge. Yeah, just 9 damage. You can deal 9 damage with that. So, and it's also obviously good against... Demon Hunter because like against Sagro Demon Hunter it's a big stabilizer they have a it's a big body that's just in other way and the weapon allows you to kill things um, but it's also good against Soul Demon Hunter for obvious reasons you just want as many taunts as you possibly can so that card works the other card that I was surprised to see perform well at least this is a case where it's like wait it doesn't make that much sense to me but it just works so I'm we're gonna have to put it in the list is Silas
1: oof It's been good! I've played it! It's actually a solid card.
0: Yeah, no, the thing is, it makes a lot of sense in Paladin because of the hero power. So on turn 9, you can hero power and get a guarantee. Like, Silas, you can steal something big and just give your opponent a Silas, which is a 4-4. That's okay, but it's not that great. But if you have a 1-1 on the board, which you often do as a Paladin, considering your hero power, then Silas is really good. Also, it allows you, like, a, there are a lot of, like, you probably have, if you've played this deck any amount of time, you probably know Pyromancer is not good at this deck. And Consecration is not, also not worth putting in just to combo with uh, Liberum of Justice. So what ends up happening, is there's a lot of awkward moments where you kind of need to spend a Justice or a Bearoff just to kill one big threat. Like, in, in the Rogue matchup is a really good example where you're often forced to just use these cards to remove just one thing, Edwin or questing. Uh Silas allows you to deal with single target things without expending these resources. So it makes your removal package more consistent. And also it's a big threat in the late game because anything like like priest like plays Morizon and you just steal the Morizon or something like that. Or Rattlegore. Rattlegore is the big one. Like against warrior Conceal their Rattle Gore, which is like massive. It's like, it can be a huge difference maker uh, in that matchup. So it makes them uh, far less likely to succeed through that plan, and they have to combo you in order to win when you run Silas. So Silas works really well in that deck, and it's really not a tech card. Like in ETC in Control you we suggest running Silas just to tech for the mirror. And it makes sense primarily in the mirror. In this deck, Silas is Generically good. Uh, It's particularly good against Rogue. uh, Because of what I said about questing and things like that, that Paladin can struggle with. Uh, So I really like that list. I really like that build. I feel like Liban Paladin has Tier 1 potential. Um, And it's probably going to get better after Tuesday. Because I don't think it's going to get nerfed.
1: I'm not sure. I, I don't think that... I don't think that the deck will get directly nerfed. We'll talk about it. Um, how does Pure Paladin perform in the meta?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, Pure Paladin is obviously very strong on the Climb to Legend, and it follows off a little bit at Legend, but it's still one of the stronger decks in the format. Like, it still performs well. It's just not at the level of the very best decks.
1: And the Rogue matchup seems pretty not great.
0: Yeah, yeah. The problem is, like, the thing is, a rise in Rogue is a problem for a pure paladin. Um, even if like. like Generally pure paladin does worse against. The secret build. Because of stunners. Stunners are a huge problem. But still. The world kick build. Is still very much favored against pure. Um, significantly favored. And if you run course Too then. Yeah. The, the Paladin is not your problem on ladder. I guarantee it. Um, Libram paladin is more difficult. But also a reasonable matchup for rogue. So, yeah, nothing changed about Pure paladin's same build, um, but we all know what it's good. It's kind of the same similar deal that we saw in Skullman's Academy, which is supremely powerful in the climb of Legend, got worse at Legend. Still good there, but, you know, obviously players don't like playing that deck for multiple reasons.
1: Yeah. Well, and also it's harder to justify when Pure Paladin's actually bad against Aggro DH, because you play that deck to yeah. beat Soul DH, and then you just get run over by turn five.
0: Yeah, it's just very awkward um, to try. And also, uh, there's Lifesteal DH too, so yeah, it, it's it's a little bit awkward. Though so I think Pure Paladin is fine against uh, Lifesteal DH, if I remember correctly.
1: That seems like it's a matchup that is really just unlikely to happen because those decks are played at, at different popularities and different, different skill yeah, brackets. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Pure Paladin dominates Lifesteal though. Uh, I just checked to remember, yeah. Dominates that matchup, but that matchup doesn't happen often for obvious reasons. Life steal demon hunter mostly played the top legend, most and pure Paladin mostly played outside of that. So yeah, it happens though, and pure Paladin usually wins. And so, also,
1: speaking of a deck that uh, pure Paladin really doesn't want to see, and also a class that might be the most poised to benefit from upcoming meta developments, unless we have Blizzard intervention, is evolved shaman.
0: Yep. Because if there's one deck that consistently is a pain in the ass for me when I play Miracle Rogue, it's Evolve Shaman. Um, Evolve Shaman got worse this week, obviously, because Aggro Demon Hunter got worse last week. But it seems to be maybe stabilizing its uh, win rate even before this report. And now after this report and the upcoming rise of Miracle Rogue that we're seeing, then Evolve Shaman, I can see, is already getting better, because that matchup, this is the one way you can consistently frustrate Miracle Rogue players. Honestly, sometimes I just see a custodian on two, and I want to concede in that matchup. It's <laughs> obviously not correct, but it feels like whenever they have that weapon on five, I just I just feel like I can't win. Um. So yeah, that deck is very effective in that matchup, and Evolve Shaman is... You know, it's developing. Uh, and, and the interesting thing is that there are two approaches that we identified in the latter that are good. They're both good. And their matchup spread is very similar. The one difference I would say is that the Corruptor build is better against Demon Hunter because you have more ways to directly interact with minions in the early game with things like Serpent Shrine, Portal, and Stormstrike. And then the Coaster build is more about mid-game swings the coaster, the, the Corruptor build, we made one change, just one, which was adding back in our crash. The reason is um, the rise in uh, Druid, also the prevalence of Warrior. In these two matchups, Inara, even though she doesn't have great synergy in the deck, she makes more sense. And from being a fringe performer... It's gotten a little bit better, good enough to include not a critical card either way. The coaster build was um, refined by Jomber. I think that build can still be improved. I'm not sure about some cards in the deck, but that list seems to be performing very well. And again, it's all about the mid-game swings rather than, you know, having more ways to... That kill, interact with your opponent's minion in the early game. You just play a coaster, a massive coaster. It activates your Flesh Shaper, your Sea Giants. Obviously, very powerful with Box Pine Knuckles, but you need to be very minion dense to do it. And the one card choice um, that makes a lot of sense in that deck is Broom. Um, the reason is since you don't have removal, it's really good to turn your evolved minions into removal. So, what you do is you like, I don't know, equip a box by Knuckles and you play Desert Herd the next turn. You evolve a bunch of stuff and then you Broomstick. And it's kind of like removal. So you don't run Stormstrike and you don't run Serpent Shrine Portal, but you use your minions to remove. And that works really well with Evolve effects, right? Because you Broomstick after the Evolve and you get to attack. You have like a bunch of board uh, minions on the board. You hit face with them, you evolve them, then you play Broomstick and then you deal with the opponent's minions. It's a very effective combo kind of thing. So Broomstick makes a lot of sense in that specific build.
1: I've been thinking about this deck too. I feel I feel like I could talk about the first five class we've talked about in the what would you change section, because I think there might be something here too.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about that. And and again, I'll we'll get to the Zako balance changes, the Zako patch, and I'll explain why I'm making any any change. And I do think that Shaman could sneakily become a problem, and I'll explain why again, later.
1: I, I've been surprised. Um, I, was, I was in uh, McBannerface's Twitch chat, and, and he was asking, chat which do you think is more annoying, Wrench Caliber or Bogspine Knuckles? And people were split right down the middle, which surprises me, because one of them was Wrench Caliber.
0: Not me. Not me. I'm not surprised at all. Because, you know, if anyone, if there was any consistency in the Hearthstone community, and you remember the constant complaint about random generation. Yeah. Right? For me, Evolve Shaman has random generation that's far worse than any random generation that Mage possessed. Because it's random generation on the board. Like, if it's bad, like, you're making hand reads, whatever, but you can't even make board reads with Evolve Shaman. Like,. Because everything is, everything is variance. All of their minions are variants. Like, sometimes their desert her makes that uh, Zuldrak, whatever, that 3-9, and you get screwed. That's it. There was yeah. no way to play around that. Or sometimes you just make an undersize something, and that feels bad if you're the Evolved Shaman. So, for me, random generation on the board is far less interactive than random generation in hand. And if you have ever, ever complained about Cyclomage in
1: the past, and you're not complaining about Evolve Shaman, then I will call you a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite! Well, I think that uh, it does seem like there are some concerns about it, and this reminds me of actually what you talked about in Ashes, where you were concerned that after they nerfed DH and Enrage Warrior, then the best deck was going to be Scrap Imp Zoo, and nobody wants that to be the best deck? And I think this is a similar situation. Nobody wants Evolve Shaman to be the best deck, and it's in a position where if they nerf around it, and this is the best thing to do, Standard's going to be unbearable because the mirror matches are, are miserable. miserable. Some of the
0: most toxic things you can ever encounter. Now, I'm fine with Evolved Shaman being 5% of the meta. I'm fine with it being 10% of the meta. It can even I'm be good. I'm not going to be fine with it if it's 15 or 20% of the meta. There's a difference here. Yeah, I'm fine with Evolved Shaman existing as a deck, but I just don't want that deck to be the best. I don't no. want that deck to be the optimal choice if you want to win as many games as you can. Like, if that becomes the thing, then it's a problem. Also, it's very, very oppressive for a lot of late-game strategies. Like, Evolved Shaman kind of forces you to play into them. If you don't play into them and you let them do their thing, they just win. Like, uh, they just win. And the reason why they don't win is because they're facing a bunch of classes that are even more overtuned than they are. But it doesn't mean that Shaman isn't very, very powerful. So we'll talk about that later, but it's definitely a DAC that I would position to be dangerously oppressive in the event of balance changes if it's not touched. So yeah. um,
1: I have faith in proactive changes here, and there's one that really stands out to me. But Yeah, it's very obvious, but we'll get to that. We're setting up a lot of things for the listener to tune into. It's
0: in just a few minutes because even though we have, like, I don't know, four classes left, it's going to be very quick
1: going through five them. Five classes. Because we have five, five classes, classes left. Zach, it's going to take a while to talk about Highlander Druid, isn't it? It's going to take a lot of time. So we've looked into,
0: we've extensively done analysis for Highlander Druid and looked into the build and evaluated its matchup spread. And we've reached the conclusion that it sucks. It sucks.
1: It's really. We can move
0: on, Hat. It sucks. It's as bad
1: as Control Warlock. That's how much it sucks. I got Legend with this deck and I think it's awful.
0: You got Legend with this deck?
1: Yeah, I went 8-2 and, and got Legend with it after net decking it, and I was like, this deck sucks. And then I went and, and jumped on McBannerface's stream and he was playing it on rank 1, he was like, this deck sucks. It was a fun weekend. That was all it was. We played it for a weekend. We got it out of our system. Um, it's not good. It's not a good deck.
0: Yeah, it just loses to everything other than Control Warrior. <laughs> Almost, basically. Um, yeah, but, you know... It- <laughs> Somebody hits number one legend with a deck, it propagates. It's going to take a while for it to die out, um, even though it sucks. That information flow, it takes a bit of time, but it will disappear. Like, I don't expect it. It's worse than Clown Droid, guys. It's just, it's all hype, honestly. Like uh,
1: Nobody's hyping it. The people that are winning with it are talking shit about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, true, true. It, it, there's no hype. There was hype in the first couple of days, you have to admit. There was some hype.
1: We're all just looking for novelty. I saw a lot
0: at Top Legend Hat. I was playing Priest, and I got,
1: where did these Highlander Druids came from? I was thinking to myself, why are they playing that thing? People are so excited to try things that are different. You know, a lot of people
0: add me after the game, after we play, because they recognize my name, and then we talk a little bit. And, you know, I asked someone, hey, why are you playing Highlander Druid? And he said, I don't know, I know it sucks. Like, everybody knows it sucks, and people... People, stop playing it if it sucks. Come on, let me play Priest and Priest in peace.
1: Yeah, play Priest. Speaking of high legend decks that suck, we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about Hunter first, because there's nothing else in Druid going on.
0: Yeah, so Hunter is like, basically, Highlander Hunter is good. It's going to continue to be good. Its matchup spread is insane. It has no weaknesses, almost no weaknesses. The only matchup that seems a little bit problematic is Aggro Demon Hunter. And a deck like Evolve Shaman wished it was as unfavored against Aggro Demon Hunter as Highlander Hunter is. Because that matchup is still very winnable. We recommend running Explosive Trap. Uh, that helps the matchup, uh, that specific matchup. But Highlander Hunter, just look at its matchup spread. It's just insane. It means that it's just very, very resilient to meta changes. Like, no matter what deck rises and falls... If Highlander Hunter is 50-50 or better against almost everything, then it's it's not affected by anything. And if other decks around it become weaker, then you can, be re- you can rest assured that it's going to get even more, more and more popular. It's not popular right now because it kind of also has this Bomb Warrior-like gentleman agreement of like, okay, we're all sick of this deck. It's been here for a while,
1: so we're not going to play it. But it's really good. I will admit, I'm less bored of this deck than I am not even bored. I'm less likely to play Highlander Hunter, but it's not like I ever run into it and be like, oh, I'm so tired of seeing it. It's just, it's, it's kind of meh, but it's not the same the Same. I mean, you're,
0: you're not tired of seeing it that much because even though it's been very powerful, it's never been, or it's rarely been extremely popular. And you know, there was an excerpt about it. Yes. Of them like seeing Highlander Hunter uh, performing as the best deck through a large portion of the recent Hearthstone timeline, which we also saw. And still, you know, it's not popular. It always gets uh, outshone by something else. Something else feels like more of the thing, the in thing right now. Uh, But it's definitely a a deck that has consistently been powerful uh, through a very long time. And you have to wonder what happens if, you know, we again, nerf everything that surrounds it. Are we going to see 15% Highlander Hunter? Is that going to be a problem?
1: So far, the approach since Ashes has been nerf, until, nerf Demon Hunter until Highlander Hunter is the best deck and then leave it till rotation. And that could easily yeah. happen again. And it happened. That was, that was the last Ashes meta. The last Ashes meta, Highlander Hunter was the best deck. People played it because what else were we going to do? Uh, the real tech decision was like, do I run the Grand Slam or not? And I don't think this format will end up in that place because we have more efficiency spread out overall. Uh, But the Highlander cards are powerful and they're going to be around for another few months.
0: Yep. So, might want to address that as well. So, those are the good classes. We finished the good classes and we talked about Druid Yes. a
1: little bit. Those are the good classes and Druid. So, speaking of rank (laughs) 1 Legend Bait decks, let's talk about Priest.
0: Yeah, so here's the thing. I don't know if those recent number one uh, legend... I think I saw a couple? Yeah, Gabby got there. I don't know there. if they're bait. Yeah, I don't know if they're bait. but I do know is that Priest is performing very poorly because nobody really knows what the best build is. Uh, we have a build in the report. It's more of a benchmark. I'm definitely not confident that that's the best way to go with Priest. Uh, we just looked into Bloodweaver, and Bloodweaver is very, very powerful. It's very promising after the patch. And we try to make it as strong as it was possible, and one of the cards that was interesting um is uh, power shield it's really good against- bo- uh, with both veil weaver and bloodweaver in order to snowball and I played a bunch of priests this week, and I tested a build that was very similar to this, and definitely it feels like you're much more um Likely to, like, just snowball in the early game off of a Veilweaver and Bloodweaver off of with just Power Word Shield. It's just a powerful opening that this deck can do.
1: There's kind of this funneling effect with Bloodweaver when you have a bunch of low-cost spells in your hand, and Power Word Shield makes sense as both something that will never get hit and something that allows you to get another Bloodweaver tick. The, uh, the lower cost your hand gets, the better that card gets, and palm reading in particular is insane with it, so it makes sense to me that a zero mana spell is, is powerful here.
0: Yeah, I've seen even people running Silence. Yeah, just, or Lazul you know, Scheme. Yeah, just running, like, Silence makes a little bit more sense because you're also hitting things like Rattlegore. And, um, and Edwin. And Edwin, uh, and, yeah. So, Silence has some applications. Uh, but power shield is just seems to be generically good in this deck, and it always has something to hit, and it always draws a lot of attention and resources from the opponent. So that extra two health is uh, counts for a lot. And you know, I played a bunch of priests when Highland Detroit was popular. Let me tell you, if you Bloodweaver and shield it, you just can't do anything. Eventually, you generate like a psych split, and just the game is over. Or like, a, um, yeah. Grave Rune or something like that, and just unkillable.
1: Eventually, you generate Priest cards, and they can't do anything because that deck has no removal or really any proactive interaction outside of Zephyrus at all in the entire deck.
0: Yeah, so Priest can definitely snowball off of these early game minions, and Insight helps you draw these minions, impactful minions, more consistently. So that seems to be a a promising package. But again, it's not like Priest... Like I'm looking at this deck and I look at how, how something similar performs on ladder and saying, oh, this is the deck. No, it still doesn't look, good. It's, it still seems to be missing something. Or maybe more than missing something, it still seems to be underpowered compared to the good classes that we just talked about. So we've got that. I'll give it more time. piece needs more time. Also, people are still running Cabal Acolyte, including in these number one legend decks. But we actually found that Cabal Acolyte is not very good in this meta. Actually, it makes a lot of sense. Like, think about which matchups is Cabal Acolyte good? Maybe Paladin. Like Yoinking the Warrior is not even game winning. Like, it's
1: anyone that's building a board is building a big one or building a really wide small one, and it's not really good against either.
0: Y- yeah, if. if like Agro Demon Hunter Cabal Calight is not good against it. It's also not very effective against Rogue. It's not very effective against Shaman. It's only really effective against Paladin, probably. So Acolyte, we've seen, based on its performance. That's not really the same card that it was during Skullman's Academy, even during the, after the Narfs. Yeah. So we said, hey, why why not we just cut the card? Actually works well. Uh in term relatively. Compared to other builds, cutting Acolyte actually Seems to be an improvement. We'll see how things flesh out. Still don't know enough. Uh, this archetype is just a giant pile of mess. So it's been very difficult to curate something that's the best in, from what's available. So,
1: and an interesting note about our list that is no mission from a lot of uh, what a lot of High Legend players are running is there's no Elucia.
0: Yeah, so here's the thing about Elucia. Um, Alusia is probably better at top legend than she is in general ladder. Top legend players don't need us to tell them to run Alusia when they think that it's appropriate. What I'm saying is that Alusia just sucks against most in most matchups.
1: If you're not taking Ilganoth or ETC, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. If you're not playing against Life Steel Demon Hunter specifically. Or against ETC Warrior where you can just take away their Bloodsword um, Mercenaries and just deny their ETC combo and their Rattlegores or whatever. If you're not specifically doing that, then I don't see how Lucia makes sense against any other matchup. Also, this build is very cheap. So Lucia will often screw you over more than it does the opponent. Uh, so it doesn't make sense unless you tech... It for a specific meta that's more often seen at top legend. So in general, ladder population, people playing in diamond or in dumpster legend, or just like even that one thousand legend. Like unless you specifically hit a meta of life demon hunters, and etc. Controllers, every other game, Lucia is not really good. So it's a card that I see as a tech, not a core card in the deck. And for most ladder players, I wouldn't recommend running it at all. And if you want to beat Control Warrior uh, with this deck without Lucia, and you're thinking, hey, how am I supposed to beat Control Warrior? What you do is you discover or generate a silence, and you will, on average, be able to do that. And you just silence and death the Rattlegor. And at some point in the game, you just stop playing minions and you have an empty board, and you keep an empty board so that they never have the ETC combo to run into your stuff and kill you. And you just fatigue them. That's what you do. And it works! So, try doing that. And if you're that you know, insecure about generating a silence, you can run it, but again, it's really not necessary. You're going to get Plague of Death, or Mass Dispel, or Silence... From your Veilweaver, from your Pomerity, you're going to find something. And that's how you beat Warrior. So, and uh, let me tell you this: Elusia definitely does not guarantee that you beat Warrior. Because sometimes you're not going to hit the Sworn Mercenaries, and uh, they just waste your entire hand, and they copy Rattlegors, and they went through that. So, that can, like, if you don't have the silence anyway, if you didn't generate the silence, you're in trouble in that matchup. Whenever. doesn't matter. Yep. So you need... The, like, it's mostly about denying the... I, I think the, the best thing to actually dump out of their hand is the Mercenaries. Because it hits both ETC combo and the Rattle core Rather than wasting their ETC. ETC doesn't matter if, they, if you wasted their Brooms and their Mercenaries. Like, what is it? Is it 2 mana 1-4? Mercenaries is a bigger pull.
1: And it's so, this is just a tech card that is just not worth it most of the time. And if it is worth it, you will know and you won't need us to tell you. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of the approach that we. And we have uh, one more class. We got to talk about Mage Lock. So, Zach, what's going on with Mage Lock?
0: Mage sucks, Warlock sucks. Mage Lock sucks. Uh, it's just bad. Like, there's some Highlander Mage. It looks okay, but it's not actually okay. And I'm not going to spend another second <laughs> explaining why.
1: <laughs> and also, if it gets good, people will play more Bomb Warrior, so I hope it sucks because they don't want to play more Bomb Warrior. Moving on.
0: Yeah, and, and Zoo is just mediocre and way worse than Aggard Demon Hunters. There's no reason to play it. There's no reason to play any of these four classes, really, if you actually want to win. And that brings us to the smaller section in the report, which is the Zako patch notes and the hat feelings yes. of the Zako patch notes. So I'm going to say my patch notes. And Hat will agree and say that I'm great. And I'm very smart. I'm I'm gonna I say that right that.
1: now. Zach, I, I think that you're that you're great and very smart. But also I I reserve the right to not agree because I disagree with you about many important things like hero portraits. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, so I'm gonna lean back. I got my coffee. So, I'm waiting. I'm excited.
0: Okay. So first of all, we have to nerf Demon Hunter, right? First, Zacko Pashnal. Zach, Opatino, Zach we have this to nerf is Demon this Hunter. is
1: great. You're very smart.
0: So Here's the thing. After the last week and seeing that Lifesteal Demon Hunter is also becoming powerful and could become like a significant meta player, um, the only conclusion is that you nerf the card that's very powerful in all of these archetypes and is shared by all of them because it's freaking broken hat. We need to nerf Skull Gul'dan again. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. There's, there's multiple reasons why we need to nerf Skull Gul'dan and it makes total sense why. It's the best card draw engine for Soul Demon Hunter. Whenever they do that and discount a bunch of cards, it just makes their entire late game more efficient, more powerful, and more upsetting to you, the opponent. Um, It's extremely powerful in Aggro Demon Hunter. Aggro Demon Hunter, if without Pocket Altruist Skull late game, was a deck that we saw could be stopped. It was a counterable deck. The moment Polkit, Altruist, and Skull were added to that deck, it become it became that much more difficult to counter. Because its late game is insane, it turns into this combo deck where it plays Polkit and, and plays Skull, and the Altruist costs one and just blows you out. And if you take that out of the equation, I think that Aggro Demon Hunter will become more bearable. And then we have Lifesteal Demon Hunter, where Skull, where Skull is insane, and whenever it plays... Skull on six, it just becomes much more efficient, much more difficult to stop, much more difficult to pressure before they are able to execute their win condition. So the common denominator in all of these decks is that Skull is busted and needs to be nerfed again. And a very simple nerf that will greatly impact all of these archetypes is just reduce the discount from three to two. So that now if it's three, if it's two, instead of three, then the Altruist poke thing doesn't work anymore because Altruist costs two the Still Steppers don't cost zero the Dreadlord's Bite don't cost zero, it becomes much more difficult to justify running that late game package in Aggro Demon Hunter, which means that it might push players again to run the deck without that top end with Skull Gul'dan which means that it's more easy to counter, it's more easy to stop so you don't need me to explain why nerfing that discount is impactful for a soul demon hunter. It's impactful for the execution of the win condition that we see in lifesteal demon hunter. Just nerf skull point blank. But is that enough? No. Because we still need to hit certain aspects of at least aggro demon hunter and soul. I think nerfing skull is enough to address Lifesteal Demon Hunter and tone it down just a little bit so that it's never a threat to become overwhelming. But Soul Demon Hunter needs to see Blade Dance nerfed. Blade Dance, we talked about it before, it's a stupid card, quite frankly. When you compare it to even old Blade Flurry, it's better, because it doesn't destroy the weapon. (laughs) And... Demon Hunter has far more attack modifiers than Rogue ever hoped to have, and it can often hit for 8 damage, which is crazy and shouldn't be in the game, especially when you define Demon Hunter's weakness to be big minions. Demon Hunter laughs at your big minions because it can kill 3 of them in the same turn while hitting you in the face for 10. So we need to get rid of that, especially when there's Relentless Pursuit, when there's—oh, by the way, Blade Dance also hits Lifesteal Demon Hunter. I forgot about that, but yeah. That card is stupid. So we need to nerf it to at least 3 mana in order to make it a little bit more reasonable. Also helps that it doesn't cause zero off of Skull anymore. So that's the second change I will make. Now the third change might seem a little bit sneaky and more surprising when it came to Agro Demon Hunter. Uh, we talked about Dreadlords by being really powerful. But the card that I would really like to nerf is not even a Demon Hunter card. It's Wriggling Horror. And the reason why I want to nerf Wriggling Horror is because this card ultimately, will become a core card in every aggro deck from the moment, from today, from yesterday, from the launch of this expansion, until next year's rotation. It's just far too powerful and far too efficient. To me, it's crazy that it has the same attack value as Fungomancer, which is a five mana card. And the thing about aggro Demon Hunter that is so oppressive is that when Regling Horror hits, Demon Hunter does not have board buffs inherently in its set. Like, in its... Class Identity, or whatever you want to call it. So it has these buffs, it uses neutral buffs in order to dodge AoE. Now Beaming Psychic is a bit more bearable because it doesn't increase attack on the board. The fact that wriggling Horror adds two attack that can, you know, it's immediate damage they can leverage. It can get them out of AoE range. It just makes it extremely difficult to play against Agro Demon Hunter because whenever they wriggling Horror on three, on two, on four, it feels like you lost the game. Because it just they put too much pressure on you. And it becomes this game where you have to remove all their minions. In the early game, you just get completely done. You're done. Like if Wriggling Horror connects, think about all those moments when that card connected and you just felt like you lost the game. Because you did. So Wriggling Horror needs to have one attack. So that it's a two mana one one that produces uh, plus one plus one buffs which makes it a little bit more reasonable because the two attack matters a lot, guys. It matters a lot. It's half the attack. You have the attack, so you make it strictly a buff card and not a buff plus pressure card as much as it is right now. And it's a little bit more bearable and it's going to be more bearable. I think I still think it's going to be played, but it's going to be a more bearable card in every aggressive deck that utilizes it because it's still powerful. as a two mana one-one that produces four stats immediately on the board. It's, it's still a 2 mana 3-3, three, three, right? So it's still good. Just make it a little bit more conditional. Rather than being already good, like it's almost good enough as when it buffs one minion when it's a 2-1. So those are the nerfs I would suggest for Demon Hunter. Any comments, Hat,
1: before I go on? Nerf Skull, good. I like nerfing Skull. I think you have to. Uh, it's either that or Twin Slice. I think there's going to be an interesting paradigm do they choose to nerf the cards that are rotating or choose to nerf the cards that are staying? I think
0: they need to nerf the card that's staying, which is Skull, because Skull going to stay another year and it's going to be in every Demon Hunter deck, no matter if it's aggro, control, combo, midrange, well, whatever. Skull to nerf skull. because it's
1: Skull. You have to nerf it. But in yeah. terms of Blade Dance versus Shard Shatter Mystic, I think that's kind of the question I have about Soul Demon Hunter, because you need to hit one of them. I like the idea of Blade Dance scaling, but it's also rotating in three months and it's not coming back. Because they aren't making a Demon Hunter Classic set... uh, Unless things have changed... Until 2022. Because the 5 extra cards per set are... are I think
0: nerfing Blade Dance makes more sense here, Hat. Because Blade Dance goes against... The core identity of the class that's supposed to be about... It's not supposed to be able to kill gigantic minions. And it definitely is not supposed to kill 3 of them at the same turn... With such efficiency. So I think it's a highly offensive card. And honestly... If they nerf just Mystic and just make it like a 4-mana card, I don't think that's going to be enough. That's mainly the main reason why I think they need to nerf Blade Dance, prioritize that over the Mystic. And I think that if Skull is nerfed, then the power level, the whole thing drops a little bit, and you're still incentivized around um, Soul Fragments because of Mystic. It's still powerful, but it's not this completely nonsensical card. It's honestly Blade Dance. It's just nonsense what it does right now. It's, it,
1: Two mana is not enough mana to pay for the effect. Like, I buy that it's too efficient.
0: It's also a way to further tone down the power level of Lifesteal Demon Hunter. Even though it doesn't feel like a problem right now, if we nerf a lot of aggressive decks, right, and then that may change things and suddenly Lifesteal Demon Hunter becomes a problem. So I would just yeah. uh, nerf Blade Dance. So let's move on. So we're go. We we we're done. We just did the Demon Hunter nerfs. Let's go with the Warrior nerf. I think the Warrior nerf is the one that we agreed upon last week. That makes the most sense. It's nerfing Bloodsworn Mercenary to a 4-mana 3-3. Three, three. It makes sense because it affects all the late-game combos that Warrior has right now, which is like copying Rattlegore. It can still do that. But ETC combo goes away. I don't think a defensive deck that's so powerful in its removal kit and can gain so much armor, like can also OTK you from 30 life. I don't think that's particularly healthy, and I think that needs to go away. And what I like about it the most is that, you know, Skipper Armorsmith is a turn slower, gives better chance for aggressive decks to maybe mount an offense against Warrior before it stabilizes. It still keeps that functionality, but it just makes it a little bit slower. And... Makes Warrior look for an alternative win condition. Maybe now it needs to run Cthune. And Cthune decks, they do exist. They're viable and they're playable. They're just worse than ETC. And I'm fine with them being on ladder instead of the ETC combo. I'm fine with being OTK'd by Cthune, because that takes so much more setup and time to execute. And it gimps you in terms of deck building because you need to run a bunch of bad cards in order to get there. So I think Cthune is a win condition that's far healthier than the ETC combo. Just take that away. Uh, from Warrior, and I think Warrior will still be viable and competitive. But Mercenary to 4-mana, 3-3, three, three, I think you agree with that.
1: Yeah, and as much as I hate to say it, the leave Bomb Warrior is the best Warrior deck. Bomb Warrior is probably about the power level that we're looking for in a 6-set meta. It's probably about right. Because uh, I don't think the deck is a performance outlier. I do not like the play pattern at all. But I, in terms of where a, a full year Control where your deck should be, it's probably about right. So you can't really nerf any card in here. There, like maybe Minefield, but I don't think it's, it's enough of an outlier to say we need to nerf this right now. You could maybe hit Bladestorm, but I, again, I don't think it's the same thing. Any nerf you would make would be kind of capricious here, and I think it's just unnecessary, even though that probably means this will be the best archetype until rotation.
0: I think, you know what? I think Controller would still be better than Bombwe. I'm going to make a prediction I hope here. So. I'd like that, but uh, I think it's still going to be better. But we'll see. It's possible that I'm—I'll be wrong. It's a—it's kind of a coin flip here, honestly. But I think we can—we can bear uh, Bomb Warrior for a few more months. So uh, to me, it doesn't seem to be that big of an issue. Also, kind of difficult to to nerf. Um, just seems like a strange, note. and honestly, I think it might—we might be a little bit biased because both of us uh, are kind of don't like that deck. Uh, So, yeah. Okay, next. We have the best deck in the game right now, which is Rogue. Miracle Rogue is currently performing better than both Demon Hunter and Warrior. So how are we going to nerf Demon Hunter and Warrior without nerfing Rogue? And I think there's a clear uh, nerf here that makes sense for every Rogue deck because it's far too good, which is Foxy Fraud. Reduced by one, right? Uh, I would make Foxy Fraud a, a one mana, two one. That discounts for 1. Okay. And the reasoning is that I really like the fact that Foxy Fraud allows enables combo cards on curve without coin. I don't want to take that away. I want players to still be able to Foxy Fraud Miscreant on 3, to Foxy Fraud Swindle on 2, and have it act as a combo enabler. But I don't like the fact that it's a combo enabler and a significant mana cheater in the early game think that makes it far too powerful the fact that it's a zero mana three two I think is too much and when you play like foxy fart miscreant on three it's just too much tempo in the opponent it's just very very difficult to come back from that
1: and the shadow step also, Edwin interaction Edwin sucks also, gets, a- yeah. also yeah
0: also also um, making it a, a one mana two one addresses that toxic issue with Edwin that just you know it's stupid I've done that a few times and I won and I didn't feel good about it like, you you can do it with the coin if you do that with Foxy Fraud. Like, Foxy Fraud, Shadow Step, Foxy Fraud, Coin, Edwin. I guess you can still do that at one mana. but it just becomes more of a rare occurrence. I mean, it's never... Like, Edwin nonsense is never going away until that card at Hall of Fame. But I do like the design of Foxy Fraud. And I want... Like, if you, if you make it a two mana, three, two that reduces by one, you take away the curve element of being able to activate um, those combo cards on curve. This is an yeah. aspect that I really like about the deck, but I think it's attached to too big of a body. So I want to just reduce the body, reduce the tempo aspect of the card a little bit, make it a little bit more tolerable uh, when it's played against you. So just one mana two one, reduced by one instead of a two. Basically, give it the dark glare reduce.
1: That makes sense. Yeah, I could see that. I could also see them just making it a two-two, like, and and that would be fine. Like, it'd be. Uh, I like your idea. A little bit more, I think, but making it... uh, I think making it
0: 2-2 might still make it too good, because it just make it... yeah I I think my changes is a little bit safer, and I think healthier, uh, long-term. So, that's what I would do with Rogue, and I think that affects most Rogue decks um, now and in the future. So, it affects both the Secret build and the World Kick build equally. So, we're here now to talk about Hunter. Hunter has consistently been... Highlander Hunter has consistently been very powerful. Even though it's not the most popular chosen Ladder, it's been consistently one of the most powerful ones, if not the most powerful one. And I'm a bit concerned that if we nerf all of these classes that I mentioned above, we're going to see too many Highlander Hunters. So here's the thing about Highlander Hunter. I was fine with Dino Timur Brand until uh, Highlander Hunter started running two copies of it. And when I mean two copies of it is, I mean, when Polkit is around, essentially, you see Dino Tema Brand two times more often than it should be seen. Because it just makes the draw consistency of that card far too powerful. And, and to me, that is pretty much the problem uh, with the deck. Because you basically don't really sacrifice anything to have consistently the most powerful card in your deck on, on, on turn 7. Like, there's just no sacrifice here. You're not really... It doesn't feel like you're playing a Highlander deck because it's so consistent that Brand comes down on seven. And Highlander Hunter is limiting, in a way. It's not as limiting as Demon Hunter Warrior, but any, you know, experimental deck, if you look at the matchup uh, spread, always gets taunt by Highlander Hunter. It just punishes creativity. So I would make Dino Champion Brand cost eight. Just, okay. So we're seeing it twice more often than we should because of Polkit, but if it's an eighth a turn later, then it actually gives us a better chance for defensive decks to fend off a hunter's aggression, not have such a crippling finisher. And it dissuades players from running Highlander Hunter into running Face Hunter. And you know what? If you're worried about Face Hunter being bad, just remember that we're nerfing Soul Demon Hunter, we're nerfing Aggro Demon Hunter, and we're nerfing Warrior. So, Face Hunter should be better, and Hunter should still be viable. And Hunter players should not panic about these changes, making the class not viable or competitive. I suspect that these changes will also help Face Hunter be more competitive. And it's already pretty good. It's already fine. We're not nerfing that deck. It looks to City, it sits at tier two in terms of win rate. So, I'm not killing Hunter. I'm just reducing the power level of Highlander Hunter, which is more than fair comments
1: i can see it um it's not the nerf i would make but i can see it uh i honestly think i've been a proponent of pole Five for a while i think pole kelt we saw pole kelt as a card that was going to be scary in combo context and it's turned out to just be one of the most efficient things you can do in aggro decks and also it has a recruit style effect of being a deck building challenge that just makes your deck ruthlessly efficient and also limits the card pool you can play. And so it makes deck building less interesting, it makes the games play out more consistently in a less interesting way, and it's really, really powerful on curve. Uh, so I think that just disrupting where it drops in the curve is going to be more effective to disincentivize tempo decks from playing it, because a 5-mana 4-5 is a real drawback, and a 4-mana four 4-5 four you can kind of get away with doing. Uh, so I'd rather ha- see Polkelt move to 5.
0: That's, uh, that's another change that you could reasonably make. I don't think that change, though, makes... Uh... I think still, if you make that change, Highlander Hunter will still be good and will still play Polkit. But maybe you dissuade aggressive decks that run Polkit from playing it. But as I said, I'm addressing um, like Agro Demon Hunter running Polkit. I'm addressing it in a different way by nerfing a card that's far more busted in that p- specific uh, class. Yeah, well, I would nerf both skull. of those.
1: Uh, like Skull, Skull is a problem even if you don't p- stack Polkid, your deck.
0: The thing about Polkit is that it has this vast amount of applications, and you know, it's it's. Like, I can definitely see Polkit being nerfed eventually. I'm just not sure now is the time. And it has a lot of implications for other classes as well. So I decided, hey, let's not touch that. Let's just directly nerf uh, Highlander Hunter without hitting Face Hunter. Because remember, nerfing Polkit hits Face Hunter too. So I wanted a way to hit Highlander Hunter without hitting Face Hunter. That was my reasoning.
1: I can see it. I just don't think that Polkit 4 is healthy for the game long term. Because almost every application we've seen, like, think about where it's played right now. Uh, it's been played in Turtle Mage, it's been played in Reno Priest and Wild, where it will still be played at 5, uh, and then it's being played in Demon Hunter and Hunter to lower the curve and give really consistent end game aggro. Uh, I, that application, I would guess, is unintended, and also just doesn't feel like the sort of thing that the game should do. It doesn't feel like we want things to be that consistent. It reminds me a lot of Recruit.
0: Yeah. So, we talked about those, um, uh, we, we, we're nerfing four classes, we need to nerf a fifth. Honestly, uh, it seems strange to you guys listening to podcasts. We want to nerf half the meta. Well, the fact of the matter is, we have four near unplayable classes, and the reason is that their power level is so far off these five classes that we're nerfing. Also, if we're nerfing Hunter, Rogue, Demon Hunter, and Warrior, Evolve Shaman is going to be far too good. I guarantee it. There are layers upon layers of busted, and if you nerf one thing, you're kind of forced to nerf the next thing. You nerf Demon Hunter, where you're kind of forced to nerf Rogan Hunter. You nerf all these four, you're forced to nerf Shaman. And Shaman, to me, the one card that has been consistently powerful in all, like literally every archetype that we've seen from Shaman so far, and I know that people are saying, oh, leave Shaman and no, oh, let it be good for a while. You really don't want people to get sick of Evolve Shaman. And I think that card is that enables it is far too pushed, which is Cage Mask Custodian. There are a lot of ways to nerf it. I'm not going to you know, insist on the principle of nerfing. You can make it a 3-mana card. You can make it a 2-mana 1-1. One, one. The point is, it shouldn't be able to tutor your the key card in your specific archetype's win condition that consistently without paying a price for it in Tempo. So I, I'm fine with it making it a 2-mana 1-1. One, one. I'm fine with it making it a 3-mana 2-2. Two, two. The fact of the matter is it cannot be both good, like a decent body, and increase the consistency of your win condition that much. It very much feels like a Corsair cash for Shaman. It's going to be consistently powerful and played in every Shaman deck until the next rotation, which means it's probably going to eventually get nerfed, so might as well do it now and prevent like 15-20% Evolve Shamans on ladder from... Getting people to get sick out of the uh, from the game, so this is what I would do. Uh, this is how I would rest it. it also leaves space to produce stronger shaman cards in the future in other shaman decks that utilize weapons without making like cage Man, custodian super oppressive. Uh, this is what I would look into.
1: You have to nerf shaman. I agree with that. Um, I, custodian also. I agree with the concept that at a two mana two two, it is probably too good, and for the same reasons that I I would change Polkit. I think that Custodian will need one eventually. This isn't the change I'd make now. I'd move Knuckles to three attack. That would be what I'd look at. Uh, It changes the Dread Corsair interaction pretty significantly. One of the issues I have playing against Shaman is that it's really hard to stick anything against Knuckles, and that first swing, even just removal, is good. And when they Horde Pillager it back, even though that's rotating in a few months, it's just so much face damage. They just hit you in the face four times. That's 16 damage. Uh, Four attack just feels a little bit much. And so... I don't mind it getting the weapon as consistently. I don't think that'll really change, even if you nerf Custodian's body. Uh, But I just want the hits to be less powerful. I want the Dread Corsair and Horde Pillager interactions to be worse. And if you make it three attack, you can't Dread Corsair the same turn.
0: You also nerf the damage of the deck. So here's the thing. Nerfing Custodian is more a long-term Shaman thing. Like, we're ev- we'll eventually have to nerf Custodian. Ner- uh, might as well nerf it now. Box by Nerf Knuckles is about keeping the other Shaman decks, giving them a chance right now to be viable. Yeah.
1: And now the card rotates. Like, Box Pine Knuckles going to stick around. We don't know if Dread Corsair is going to stick around. Horde Pillager is leaving, so it might be worse. But nerfing Box by Knuckles, just remo- reducing the damage, because Box by Knuckles deals
0: a lot of face damage. It's, it's a poor attack weapon. So, three attack, probably still gets played, makes Dread Corsair, I do like that, it makes Dread Corsair on curve not feasible anymore. Um, it's another nerf that's very reasonable and I, I I think that's that's also a good suggestion so had good suggestion good comments we'll see what ends up being the patch uh, in um, in actuality what what they end up deciding on but i I strongly feel that if we don't hit all these five classes whatever class is in touch is going to dominate and we're gonna have to nerf it a month later like it's eventually going to happen so might as well nerf everything. Uh, especially things that have long term implications, right? I don't believe that Foxy Fraud is going to rotate to WOW next year untouched. Same for Custodian. So, might as well get it over with now. So, yeah, that's my uh,
1: reasoning. And this meta is, it appears, as we've been talking, it appears there's kind of this uh, balance emerging, but the meta is warped in a really significant way. And so, the balance that you're seeing can easily be disrupted. It's very precarious. It's it's a house of cards. Uh, all these things are leaning on each other to make sure that it looks a certain kind of way. But if you remove if you remove a card, the whole thing kind of could topple over. So, and there are there are two cards that we didn't talk about. I kind of alluded to this during the Paladin section. I actually think there are some cards in Paladin that I wouldn't nerf because they're in it. But there are two cards that I think are on my long shot list. One is Animated Broomstick, just because the card is unbelievable. It's it's in I agree. It's in every format. I don't anticipate this card costing one and both having rush when it rotates. Um, I don't know if now is the time to change it, but there's no way this card stays as is for the entire time it's in standard. It's seeing play in wild right now, and it's really, really good. Yeah, I agree. It dramatically changes how combat plays out, just period, in the entire format, and also as a combo It just piece.
0: makes everything rush. I think there's this... like The thing is, we had uh, the Descend of Dragons expansion, and that expansion had a lot of really powerful... Over-tuned rush minions, and I remember that meta where just everybody just removed like, like one deck made a huge board, and then the other deck rushed into the other board and made a huge board itself, and then the other deck responded back by playing a lot of rush and killing all the rush minions that that deck played. It was just like, there was no actual board; like everybody yeah. just rushed everything into everything. And now we have this thing where we have you have one one mana card that just does does that, like it just turns everything into rush. It, it is too ubiquitous. And it's definitely something, like, like you, if you addressed it, you, it's something that you do in order to, like, you know, give space or it's just more of a gameplay general experience thing rather than nerfing one deck. But I definitely agree, the animated Broomstick right now is
1: super powerful. And in line with that, the other card I could see them changing is moving Lord Barov to four mana because Lord Barov is really, really, really good in Warrior and Lib Room. And I don't know if it's oppressive in any kind of way, but it's just a little bit too efficient. And it makes developing on the board not all that valuable. Usually in combination with I Groom. would say
0: it's one of the one of the best cards. I would add Sword Eater as another card that they could potentially yeah. like if they, they could have hit that. That for health. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. Um but yeah. We, you you pick and choose. I generally I, I kind of wanna keep warrior kind of as it is but just slow down the way it wins games which is why mercenary I think makes more sense uh but yeah I can definitely see them hitting those
1: the Barov dual class cards both Lord and Jandis are just like they don't do anything in particular that's broken they're just kind of really good deals no they're
0: broken they're
1: bro- <laughs> I mean
0: I mean Lord Barov is is super busted uh, when you think about it like also from a power level the power like the statistical power level that it displays and its use in both Warrior and Paladin. It's nuts. It's a really powerful card. I'm saying card powerful cards are allowed to exist. Like it's fine that they exist. The question is to to, to what point. Right now I'm not seeing a reason to nerf barrel right now. Jandis is another one of these cards. Like you just play it in every rogue deck. Like there's no question. You you play Jandis and not playing Jandis, by the way, in Rogue hurts you a lot. Jandice is huge. In every rogue deck, it should be played. So you can just think maybe this card is generically too powerful.
1: It was played in every mage deck too. We just don't play mage anymore.
0: Yeah, you, exactly. It just you just play it regardless of synergy. So like I could definitely see like Jandis being hit at some point, but it's just you know it doesn't make that much sense right now. Like if we wanted to nerf, like if we could find twenty other cards that we could nerf based on their power level, right? Yeah,
1: but but there need to be good cards. Good cards need to exist. Yeah.
0: We're not just going to nerf every card because it's good. We're saying, what are we going to nerf to address things right now? And, and those were my suggestions, and your comments were also good and very uh, supplementary to that.
1: So good job, huh? Hey, thank you. So your final list, Skull, Blade Dance, Wriggling Horror, Bloodsworn Mercenary, Foxy Fraud, and Cage Match Custodian. Did they get it all? And Dino Tamerbrand. And Dino Tamerbrand. Seven cards? I think so. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would have a similar looking list. We are exactly halfway between the release of the set and the mini set. So now is when they are likely to shake things up. And because they have the mini set, it is more likely they're going to make larger changes in these in-between patches. We look at Skolomance and Ashes. Um, and Ashes is kind of an outlier. But we look at most of the patterns. They had the big shake-up patch two months after the set release and two months before rotation, right in the middle. That was kind of when they targeted, let's, let's really change things. If they're looking for the mini set in two months, it makes sense they're going to target larger patches exactly in between that and also exactly in between rotation. They just do things about once a month on a pretty consistent cadence unless they have to step in sooner. Uh, and this format is healthy enough that they can wait a month, but it's in need of some changes because it won't be healthy for another 30 days. I wouldn't be surprised to see, to see larger changes, especially given the shape of this format.
0: I expect big balance changes because because balance changes are less likely, big balance changes are less likely to occur with the mid-set, right? Because you, you want to see new cards, you want to see how they interact with uh, existing cards, you give the makeup, uh, sh- the meta a shake-up there. Here, the only way you shake up the meta is with balance changes. It just makes more sense to make the big balance changes. I'm really hoping they nerf all five of these classes. I'll be really excited if they do that. If they don't, listeners, remember what I said. From the five classes that I said that need to be nerfed. Demon Hunter, Warrior, Rogue, Shaman Hunter. If one of them is not touched, you play that on day one. No yep. questions asked.
1: Either that or Liberum Paladin. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, and I think that's going to do it for our podcast today. So, as a reminder, we will have a show next week on Saturday the 19th. If we're if these changes hit on Tuesday, as we're expecting, then we won't have a report on Thursday the seventeenth. We'll have a report on Thursday the twenty fourth, Christmas Eve. Um, of note, if you were listening to this today, the day it comes out on Saturday the twelfth. There's a wild report tomorrow on Sunday the thirteenth. Go check it out. If By you like the wild. way,
0: if you're kind of missing mage, druid, priest, warlock, you're missing these classes and standards. Oh yeah.
1: Go to wild, they're good there.
0: Go to wild, you'll get sick of them very soon. Uh, very quickly.
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the, it's interesting that the, the formats are Spoilers. almost opposites. Formats are Spoilers. almost opposites. Um, but, yeah. okay, saying Mage, Priest, and Warlock is good in wild, not a spoiler. That's, we know that. That's, a, that's an obvious thing.
0: Yeah, but the extent of how good... Uh, there's, a, there's one class here that's a little bit of a fraud, actually. One class here is a little bit of but it's still popular. I mean, you'll see a lot of it if you miss it in standard. I won't say what, but yeah, yeah. the light shall burn
1: you in Wild. It, it sure will. Wild is back. Um, and, uh, and big thanks to Steven Sensei for intro and outro as always. That's going to do it for our show, and we'll talk to you next week. The Data Reaper Podcast
0: is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content, at vicioussyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.